and action. Were your parents religious? Did you guys go to church? And yeah, they they were. Matter of fact, the folks helped build Saint Margaret Mary's. They they there's a little plaque there. Different folks that donated this and donated that. Yeah. Their name is there. Um. Do you gen church there still? Not really. Are you a church goer? Is that a thing that you do? It, um, you know, it's like almost life is too busy. Yeah. I'll be honest. Sure. You know, at some point in time, I may. I may go back, but, um, you know, I, I commune with God at my own level, too, you know? Well, I, I think pray. that's, I think that's what's important for people that yeah. believe. I think it's important that you realize for me that it doesn't matter what building you were in if you have a faith. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a religious person. I I grew up Catholic and aborted that mission real early in life. <laughs> but I I I support people that have faith. I support people that have their beliefs. I think that it's important that we be open minded to everybody's belief system. Yeah. Um because that's what that's theirs and that's that's their choice and that's their freedom that's what this country's built on is choices and freedom right well that, a, that that's in the first amendment yeah the freedom of religion mm-hmm. you know, think about it the puritans coming over here leaving england and the constitution and the guarantees of the bill of rights no most countries i don't think have anything like that no i don't think so i don't know but I'm not studied enough to know the answer to that. Uh, that one, I, I'm. I think we're very blessed as a country. I agree. We really are. I think we're in a weird time. That is a good way to put it. I think it's. I think. I think people are looking for ways to fight instead of looking for ways to come together. I think it's funny because before I started this podcast, people would have labeled me as a really far leftist liberal, which I'm not. And then now that I have the podcast, I get labeled a really far right. <laughs> and I actually just land in the middle yep. of a lot of like, I believe what I believe. I believe I'm a, I'm a pro choice guy. I'm a, I'm a pro and, and I'm pro, I literally use pro choices as an across the board for all choices. I don't give a shit. If it makes you happy and it doesn't affect somebody else, I say, go for it. Good for you. That, that's literally where I'm at. And I think that with the actual pro-choice and pro-life debate, I think it's pro-choice either way that you look at it. It's your choice to choose if you you think it's a life. It's your choice to choose if you don't. And it's, I believe that there has to be a point of cutoff. I don't think you can just get to wait until the day before and be like, yeah, I changed my mind. There are other systems in place for you to change your mind on the last day. But there's there has to be systems in play to keep everybody safe and everybody accountable for everything that they chose to do, right? And the most important thing is if it goes beyond a point of termination or, or you know, there is no undo. You can't unfuck a situation. You're in it. You have to decide and you have to live with those choices. And those choices are hard and they should be made right. by those people. Other people don't need to get involved. That Those are for those people and the people that are closest to them to make those kind of decisions. But there are systems in place, like for my niece, when it is 
beyond the date because poor her, she was she was left alone and passed around multiple times before she landed with me for the first two years, right? So she came from people that made terrible choices and I don't, I don't think that they made a right choice or wrong choice by having her. She ended up with me and she's mine and she's living a good life and I'm living a good life and both of mine and hers, hopefully I can't speak for her, but I'm hoping that she feels like her life has been enriched by living with me because I certainly feel enriched by living with her. Even on the days that she's a teenager and a pain in the ass, she still enriches my life. She still makes me laugh. I still enjoy her. Um, I tell everybody all the time I love toddlers and teenagers, so I'm very excited that she's moving into the teenage years because those middle years are the fucking worst. <laughs> There's just something about kids trying to develop themselves and from like five to 12 that I just struggle with because they're like little mimics instead of becoming their own people, whereas toddlers and teenagers are like the same type of assholes. They're just on a self-discovery mission of, you're too stupid to know what I want to do, so get out of my way. And that's a two-year-old and a 14-year-old. And I just kind of like it. I, I, I enjoy them experiencing things and developing those skills on their own. And I like being the guy that goes, when they're two, I say, don't do that, you're going to get hurt. And now at 14, I go, don't do that, you're going to get hurt. But I, can't, I have no control over it. Like, I have no control over whether they're going to actually do it or not. And I like that they have that self-discovery and that ability to learn those tasks at those age brackets on their own. There's a very independent learning thing that's happening in toddlers and teenagers that it only happens in those two age brackets. I mean, it happens for adults later on if they choose to, but in teenagers and toddlers, there's very specific lessons that are happening that parents don't get control over. There's like, don't touch that, it's hot. And they don't know what hot means, so they touch it and they find out that it's hot. And then you go, yeah, that's hot, I told you that. And it's when they're, you know, they get their heart broken for the first time when they're 14 because their first boyfriend or girlfriend, you can look at them and be like, wow, that guy's kind of a jerk or that girl's kind of a jerk. That's gonna hurt. And they go, no, it's not. And they do it anyways and they get hurt. That's what I mean about like self-discovery in those years that that doesn't happen anywhere else in life well that's uh life's lessons when you think about it right you know and, and the rite of passage yep you know make it a bad decision making a good decision learning what what's right and what's wrong and hopefully you have a good takeaway after that and you've got a foundation to build your life on yeah and you hopefully you have a parent that is strict enough but open-minded enough to be both. See, that's where I was really, really lucky and fortunate because my folks are, of course, old school. And some of the lessons that they taught me, a good moral compass, and that's something that some folks have and some folks don't have. Yep. But being taught right and wrong, being taught to do the right thing, the moral compass, the work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that a lot of people could actually go from, like in my case, being a junior technician and working my way up at a company to a leadership position. 
I don't know if that's really available anymore, which is a sad thing. Well, I think there's a lot of jobs that aren't available anymore, even for young people. Like we were talking about how you got a job when your parents told you at 16, yep. go get a job, right? My parents did the same thing. I've been working since I was 13 because I was lucky enough to live in Stafford, a smaller town where the I wanted to be a vet when I was young. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a veterinarian. And the veterinarian in town was kind enough and, and generous enough to open his doors to me and be like, sure, come on, let's let's do this. And he was no joke. Like, he brought me in and was like, yeah, you're going to clean these, but then you're going to hold this dog, and you can watch me do surgery, and you can watch me fix dogs in surgery, and you can clean up this mess. And, like, so I was, I saw it all. And and he's the guy that I remember very vividly when I was, like, 13 years old, he had this giant, like, tractor, almost the size of a bulldozer, and he let me drive it. And he, I was driving literally towards his house in his picket fence. And he's like, well, you got to stop. And I was like, okay. And I was like trying to find the brake and figure out how it worked. He's like, well, you better stop soon or you're going to hit something. And literally he let me discover how to stop. He let me plow through his fence. And then I finally figured out, he's like, well, guess we got to put the fence back up. And I was like, (laughs) and he just let me discover how to stop on my own. And my worry now is that a lot of those jobs and a lot of those positions aren't available because of the minimum wage that it's at. I think that there should be some sort of development program for dependents, right? So the minimum wage is whatever it is, I don't know, $15, $16, whatever it is. But for somebody who's 15 years old, the average company is not going to hire a 15, 16-year-old and pay them that kind of money because they're a dependent. They they don't need to be making that much money at this part-time job. So I think that there should be some sort of regulation put into place that if you are a dependent and you're on somebody else's tax form as a dependent, this is your minimum wage. And that would open up the ability for smaller businesses and mom and pop businesses to hire teenagers and teach them a work ethic and pay them less money for, for part-time work in these positions. So that way it would be, you're not working a 40-hour week for this wage. You're a dependent on somebody else's, on somebody else's tax form you can work up to 15 to 20 hours a week at this price point because you're a dependent. And we want you to learn work ethic. We want you to learn business. We want you to learn understanding of how to work with other people and what business functions as. And now you're making enough money to get gas, get some food, maybe go on a date on the weekends. But now you're learning responsibility, financial wherewithal, but you don't need to be making this much money. You know, it's funny you talk about financial wherewithal. That's something that, quite frankly, we've been lacking. Mm-hmm. We had a, a a bill last year, and I worked with the treasurer, Sean Wooden, and uh, with my chairman on banking and my colleagues on banking. One thing we don't do a good job of, and that's teaching young people how to handle their money. Mm-hmm. You know, I can think back to when I was a kid. One of the things that my mom did was we went to Manchester, Savings Bank of Manchester, and I opened up a bank account and learned about compound interest and depositing money and managing your finances. And the, uh, the bill that we had, 
was to create that financial literacy program. Now, my understanding is we may do that in banking this year, but then again, it may happen in the educational committee because knowledge is power. Absolutely. And if you want knowledge when it comes to managing your finances, sometimes that's very difficult to find. I was taught that from my folks. But then you've got folks that don't really understand how to manage their money and they don't necessarily pass it on to their to their kids. And if we go ahead and we accomplish that, to have that program, that's going to be a big help for virtually every young person out there because a lot of times somebody will have a charge card and they won't realize that, you know, if you make the minimum payment, you're probably never going to pay it off. Now, well, basically, if you make the minimum payment, it, it, it may be some astronomical date, you know, maybe 10, 15 years from right. now, and you'll be paying 20% interest or 25% or interest on the balance. Yep. Likewise, the concept of saving money to buy a house. That's one of the things I'm working on, first-time homebuyers program, to allow folks to get a tax break on saving money to buy their first home. Because we talk about people in Connecticut, and Connecticut not keeping the young people here. Well, if you buy a home, you buy a home in Connecticut, you grew up in Connecticut, you're more apt to stay in Connecticut and build your life here. Okay. And that's something that we almost got it passed last year. We got it passed out of the House, as I recall, and it never got called in the Senate. No, it got called in the Senate and something happened. And that's something that we're going to do again. We're going to get that bill out of banking and we're going to, I believe, get it across the finish line when it comes to getting it not just passed in the House, but passed in the Senate. Because we want, from my perspective, we have to encourage people to stay in Connecticut, not just get a, a good education here and leave, but build your life here, build your family here, and again, the the glue for that is, is the first time you buy a home. And then when you have kids and they're here and they get a good education, you know South Windsor School System's got, yep. got a good reputation. That's the next step. But until we can get that financial literacy and get that into every young person's mind that it's not just a function of spending the money that you earn, it's a function of saving for your future. So let's see where we go with that. But that is one of the bills that I'm working on. So this is a selfish question. Does a bill like that work for a first-time home builder? 
So I've never bought a home before. Okay. Because I never wanted to and I never had the need to. My wife owns a home, but I don't. I wasn't there for the purchase of it. She purchased it long before I came into her life. But now we just bought land in South Windsor. Yep. And I want to build a home on it. So will that program help somebody like me who wants to build a home for the first time? You know, hasn't ever bought a home either. I'm going to take a look at the bill and see whether there's that kind of latitude because you've just put a little different dimension. Because I imagine it's a very rare scenario. I imagine I'm an outlier, which I tend to be in my life. I'm very much an outlier in things that I do. Um, But I never bought a home, but there will be a first-time mortgage for me. Right. And I bought the land already. We paid for it. It's ours. So now we're going to need a mortgage to pay for our house, but we have to build it first. I would think that a bill like that would provide you with that ability. But you know what? I've got to take a look because the devil's in the detail. Yeah, it is. You know? And an asterisk. Yeah. The Laguerre Clause. I'm I'm going to take a look. You know? <laughs> I'm going to take a look at that tomorrow. You know, so it, the session started and I'm in virtually every day. Well, you are my rep. I am your representative. So it's proud yeah. of that. Yeah. So <laughs> look into that. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a look. Yeah. I, I would think on my first thought that it would be, but you have a little different scenario there and I want right. to make sure. And I'm I'm saying to myself, even if the bill doesn't say it now, it can easily be amended to add language to the effect that, you know, if a person is building a home first time, then the savings program and the money saved there could be applicable to building that home. Yeah. Because... Well, I think those e- roots e- are deeper. E- even if, from the standpoint, and I'm just thinking off off the cuff here, mm-hmm. that you would have a mortgage and you would be contracting to have the home built. Yep. So in essence, it would be the same type scenario, but I got to take a look. Because it's technically a construction loan. Correct. That turns into a mortgage. Correct. Right? Yep. And for me, I think building a home creates even deeper roots if you're building that home for yourself. Yep. Right? It'd be one thing if you're building it to flip it. That's not what I'm doing. I'm building my future. Yep. It's it's the house that I've always wanted. It's the house that I have dreamed you're, about. You're, I was going to say your it, dream. It's my dream. It literally is. Yep. And we found the land accidentally, and we bought it, and it, we're jumping through the hoops now to get it for what it needs to be, but- that's where I'm at. And I just, for me, I think Connecticut gets a bad rap in that it, a lot of people shit on us for being the highway between New York and Boston. And I, I lived in New York. I lived in LA. I've traveled most of the country. I've lived for months in multiple areas of the country. I've seen almost all of the major cities in the country. And there's just something about, because I grew up here probably, but there's something about Connecticut that feels like home. There's something about having four seasons. There's something about having the ability to go to New York or Boston in a couple of hours that like having the access to everything that we have access to here 
we have access to ocean. We have access to inland. We have access to cities. Like we have so much access here. Don't forget skiing. Skiing. Yep. We have access to skiing. And, And ask yourself a very simple question. Why have so many people moved from New York to Connecticut? Yep. And and that was something that, quite frankly, until COVID hit, you didn't have that migration out of New York. Right. And, and now you do, and it, it continues. Uh, in some ways, it's great because you have that population growth down in the Greenwich area along the shore, and sometimes it's bad because now the prices on anything on the shore have gone astronomically high. Supply and demand. Yep. Yep, and the fact you got folks from New York that that take a look at land here in Connecticut and they're used to the high, really high prices there, and and they come here and it's like, woohoo. Yeah, they think they're, wait, I can have the whole house for that? Yeah. Just a room? (laughs) Yeah, I and and we've got the shoreline railroad that goes to Grand Central, mm-hmm. so they still work in the city. Uh, I've got a neighbor up the street that um, that moved in that had New York plates on his car, and knocked on the door. Hi, Tom Delnicki, your your rep, and I see you got New York plates, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'm moving moved here to South Windsor." because of the good reputation in the school system. And I uh, I work in New York City and live here now. And when you think about it, wow, that's a, that's a tremendous undertaking, but it's also reflective of a great community we live in. Yeah. That he would make that choice to move his family here, yet still work in New York City. And that that is quite the thing. I bet technology helps him out a lot. I would guess that you're right. That that does that does that help. Technology out a lot. piece and yep. that is one that is one of the if there is a positive thing that came out of the COVID situations, it was the idea of people finding new ways to solve problems. New ways to say, Oh, you can do this job from anywhere. And as long as you have a work ethic and you hold yourself accountable, I can trust you to work from anywhere, right? So that is one of the things that if you're going to look at both sides of the coin of a scenario, that is one of the things that that came out of it where it's like, oh, these jobs don't need all of these offices. It doesn't need to have everybody, like you don't need people coming in to sit in cubicles to not talk to each other all day. Right. It's like, it's a weird thing. You know, it's... uh... It's a plus and a minus, and I'll just talk about Hartford for a minute. A lot of the restaurants in the city are hurting yeah. because you don't have the folks in at the Hartford, at, at the various insurance companies there that come into the city every day that would frequent the restaurants. And that, that's actually the downside. So imagine a world where an insurance company has this giant building that instead of cubicles and offices, executive suite offices, they take each floor and divide it up into smaller condos. 
and you can work from home in your building that is owned by your company, and now you're just downtown in the city with your own business and your own company-supplied living space. And now all those restaurants can still flourish because of all the people that still work there. And then you still have people that are working remotely that don't want to live in that building. But now it's a perk that's offered because these companies already own those buildings. They're not being repurposed for anything. And they're saving money on other things and salary pieces and other things because they're providing living quarters that are held up. And I mean, I just see it going that way. That's where I think it's going to go. You know, that's an interesting proposition. Next time I see Luke Bronin, I'm going to have to say something to him about it. Well, just imagine all of the young people that don't have families yet that work there that want to live downtown in a city and have yep. that city experience that could have that as a job perk to just be like, you're, and then you're connected to the network of your business all the time, full access. So that way, if you want to work on your schedule to do what you need to do the way you want to do it, you're already hooked up to the network of, of your business. And now the maintenance people that all work for the business already and all the people that they all function the same way, now you just have living quarters. That's certainly an interesting proposition. Some, you know, it, Give it 20 years. I bet it'll yeah, happen. Because it, it's something that I have to ask the question, where else is it occurring like that? I don't I know. I don't know. Is, it, is that a thing? Do we I'm wondering now. It's dirt. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, yeah. And then it's similar to a college experience. You have housing, right. or but now you're connected to the network. You don't need your own Wi-Fi. You don't. So now all of your cables built in, all your Wi-Fi is built in. Your your all of your electrical and all your heating and cooling is built in. So now your cost of living goes way down, which means your salary doesn't have to go up or down, but your salary can be modified based on the perks that you're getting from your living space, right? And now you're in a downtown living area working in a building that's already, and if your boss is your landlord, most likely they're going to want to keep you comfortable and happy to keep productivity high. Right. So that would be sort of a benefit of working for the job Correct. that you've got and part of, for lack of a better term, deferred compensation would be the living space. The living space. And then it allows for Hartford not to have gigantic empty buildings because everybody's working remotely. And now the foot traffic is still there because everybody that lives in those big office buildings because let's be honest, some of the executive suites in these offices are big enough to be a two-family home. Yeah. Right? Like, you, you could literally have two kids and the parents living in the size of some of these executive suites. Like, you could have a full family that lived in, in those suites. So if you divide, and there's a lot of wasted space in a lot of offices because of the way that they're laid out and the way that they're designed. So if you have all these open floor plans that you can just build lofts or anything else that you want to build for community space. Now, all of a sudden, you can have a gym in that building at the bottom of the building. You can have mm -hmm. a pool in that building. The, I mean, the perks and the and the benefits to working for a company then become endless. So, so then, conceivably, you'd have one floor would be living space, another floor would be working space? Or you could work right in your own home office. 
Okay. So you would have conference rooms on a different floor. So if you wanted to have a conference meeting or something else, or you could zoom in from your from your home office. So one of the rooms in your home would be your office. So now if you want to work, say you're a guy that or a girl that works better after 11 a.m. for whatever reason. You're not a, I'm not a get up at five, I get up at 11, and I function better until two or three in the morning. I'm that person, hypothetically. Okay, great. Okay. If we're working internationally or nationally, you're just that person that has that shift. And now you still work in the building and you're connected to everything. So if you want to work at two in the morning in the office and you need things that the office has available, then they're, you're already in the building working and functioning in that space. Instead of having all these gigantic empty buildings, you're repurposing it. Mm -hmm. And now the state and the town level don't have to worry about those buildings being unoccupied, being damaged, being vandalized, because they're being run and upkept by the companies that used to have offices there. Interesting. The um, There is an un undercurrent currently in a number of companies to bring people back in. Yeah. To so. what end, though? If, you, if, it, if your productivity and your functionality is still just as good remote, we come into work every day here because we're a creative space right. and we bounce ideas off of each other all day long. But if we owned this building and everybody was okay living in an apartment, you could literally just go in and out of people's space and knock on the door and be like, hey, I was working on this thing. Can you take a look yep. at it? You can yep. text somebody, to, hey, come up here. I want to show you something. Or, or conceivably you could have meeting rooms. Meeting rooms, exactly. Breakout rooms and meeting Breakout rooms and conference rooms. Meeting rooms. And then you could have a gym, you could have a pool, you could have all these other amenities that, again, are perks of the job. And then people that want to be more connected to their community at work can live there. And people that don't necessarily want that and they want their own home, their living compensation gets paid out to them and they yeah. live elsewhere. That's interesting. And And when I make the comment about Bouncing that idea off of Luke, I I saw him the other day. Quite frankly, the idea you brought up forward here is a good one. Well, it just seems to me that I don't know how realistic it is that people are going to rush back to the office after they've been working at home and enjoying it and still been as productive as they would be at the office, right? They, people are the same amount of people that are good workers, that enjoy their job and there's obviously exceptions to every rule. The majority of people that enjoy their job and are proud of what they do and enjoy what they do and want to be a good worker and part of something that is bigger than them and they enjoy their life in that business, they're going to do their job because they understand that if I don't do my job, I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be paid, right? But for all of the young people that are the next generation coming up, this is the kind of stuff that they're looking for. They want this stuff built in because who can afford to buy a house right now? Right now, they like, cost a real estate. Right. Yeah. Like what young person can afford to buy a house? So if they have to move for a job, and then we all know that rent has always been similar cost to a mortgage, if not higher in a lot of cases, but you can't get approved for the mortgage, so you end up renting, or you're not there for long term and you're not ready to set down your roots because- you don't know if your job is going to pan out the way you had it in your head and in your mind. So this creates a ebb and flow 
for businesses to keep the buildings that they already own and the real estate that they already own and repurpose it in a way that's still good for their business. Interesting. Yep. You, you bring up a very, uh, very interesting perspective there. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I will make an observation though. Yeah. During when we were only having Zoom meetings, I would actually go to my office in Hartford. Yeah. Because it, it's funny. It's a funny way to put it, but sitting in my office at my desk, even on Zoom, put my mind at a different place and kept me and kept me focused on exactly what we were doing legislatively as opposed to doing it from home and i would i would observe that i am curious if that's a generational thing i wonder or if it's a because i have a like i'm 43 tyler you're 25 right and how old are you 66 66 so we're three different generations essentially yep. so I get a similar feeling to that sometimes, but I can also edit and work on my project at home if everybody, it, but I do that in the middle of the night typically. I need it quiet. Okay. My, if my kids aren't ready. So if I had my own office at home and I could shut the door, I could work there all day and still be just as productive as I am anywhere else. Because it's really about sitting in front of the computer, focusing on the task at hand for me. Whereas you going to the office and having that experience of, Something that you were used to your whole life. I go to the, my job and I yep. sit and I, and now Tyler is in a generation where technology is really taking over. I imagine working remote for you. I actually know working remote for you works really well and is really simple for you because you do it all the time. So I think the next generations are looking for ways to connect electronically more than physically. And I think that the physical connection is really important which is why I think community living for large businesses, corporations, is, a, is an ideal circumstance because it allows for the people that work together to play together. And the people, when you work and play together, you have a lot more success. You, I just believe that. that and that's a, from my sports background, from everything yeah. else. I believe, And I do sport, like when my daughters have sporting events, I try and do something with the entire team where I bring them all somewhere, whether it be a game or bring them to a place that has an activity for them all to do, laser tag or bowling or whatever it is to get them to play together in some separate form because the sport is the work. Now go play, connect more. Okay, great. Right? And to, if you... To build those friendships. Yeah. Yeah. To actually improve communications because I wonder if we're drifting away from the ability to communicate one-on-one. -on -one. We are. Sadly, we are. Because more and more folks younger than me love to text. Yep, I do. My, my voicemail is basically, why are you calling me? It's 2023 now. You should be texting me to see if I'm available for this whole conversation that you want to have. Just text me. And when you talk generational differences... I'm a, a person person. Yep. In other words, I like to look somebody in the eye. I like to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. I like to get to feel and understand their emotion on something. And all the physical cues that you get Yep. when you discuss an issue with someone, 
and you actually learn what's important to them and what's not. Yep. And that's why I don't do this podcast virtually. Anybody that's on the podcast, I want them to come in. Yep. I want them to be in the space so we can have a one-on-one conversation together in the space, see each other, connect with each other, look each other in the eye. I don't like right. the idea of talking to people. Uh, I don't even really use FaceTime. I think it's weird. But I imagine you use FaceTime all the time, don't you? Or a version of. Yeah. And my daughter, my daughters, basically the only way they talk on the phone Wow, is FaceTime, is through video conversation. Like they'll text, but if they're going to have a phone call, it's video. It's it's a video call. It's not. It's not that. Well, I just <laughs> so it's interesting. I just think that the world is becoming a very interesting place to to adapt and and evolve. But imagine living in a building with all the people that you work with. You know what you know that they work at the same job as you, so it automatically creates easy conversation. It's not an awkward thing when you're in the elevator or when you're doing something to say hello to somebody because you all work together. Right. You're in a work community environment together. Your morals, values, and ethics become very similar to the people that you live around and live with. But I'm going to be devil's advocate do it, moment here. At what point do you burn out in a situation like that and now conceivably you could have a negative on actually being around the people all the time as opposed to, you know, the eight hours or 10 hours a day you might be with them and not with them. Well, that's the benefit of it being your living space is that you're technically not with them all the time and you can leave the building and go other places and it's not a requirement to live there. But you might have to leave the building to get some respite. Sure which we all need to leave places to get respite. I need to leave my house sometimes for respite. I need to leave the office sometimes for respite. There, are, I mean, I, I would argue that everybody should take time to walk out of whatever space they're in and get a breath. Whether that be for an hour or for a day or for a week, you should take a break. You'll burn out yep. no matter what you're doing if you're doing it all the time. The idea of having a living space for your work isn't so you'll work 24-7, it's so that you can create a functional work environment for you. If you're going to work from home anyways, why not? And if I, and if I, I as the company, own the building already, yep. why wouldn't I repurpose it? Why wouldn't I create a, an opportunity to say, hey, look, you don't have to worry about finding an apartment that's close to work. You could literally alleviate transportation at a certain point. Yeah, you're already there. If you're already downtown in the area where everything is, how much transportation do you really need? You don't have to worry about parking for every space in the building. You could literally offer community cars at a certain point if you wanted to. Yeah. The way that they do in the city. What are those zip cars that you can rent? Yeah. Yep. It's the same concept. Like, sign one out and go. Interesting. Or own your own and find parking. Yeah. Like, there's all... It wouldn't be a, it has to be this way. It would be very much ebb and flow of these are options for, as a large corporation that, especially insurance companies, don't get me fucking started, (laughs) that have this income and all these people working for them, 
it, it makes sense that a certain portion of them could be offered living space as a as an offered perk or benefit outside of their pay. I'm I'm wondering if they uh, if they do anything like that at uh, at any of the high tech firms out in California. I would imagine that some of them are working on it or working towards it. He said there's compounds and stuff that do it already. And there's definitely like what are those um what are the places that tech guys go to be in the same house together and work together? What are they called though? Isn't there a name for them? There's a T there's a show on HBO about one of them. Whatever that show is. It's funny as hell. Where it's like yeah. But literally tech kids, when they're developing yeah. ideas, they literally, somebody pays for them to live in their home, a hype house. So they all live together okay. in, in, in the home together, and they just code all day and night with each other, coming up with ideas. And, wow. But they love what they do, right? Yep. Yep. And that's the thing. When, when you love what you do, yep. you don't mind doing it all the time. Right, it's when you're doing something that you don't love, that you start to get tired of it. You get to get burnt out. Like you love being a state rep, right? You are constantly on as a state rep. Yep. Right. You're walking around the town that you represent, which means that you always have to be prepared to be approached, and accosted, and/or loved. The, right. Uh, like that. That's something that's going to happen constantly because that's your job. And and I'll tell you a funny story about that. I one one Sunday, I went to Home Depot just to pick up a couple of items. And three hours later, I come home. And the question is, you were gone for three hours to Home Depot? Depot? And I said, yeah, I ended up doing a town hall. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. And I had, what, one or two, I think I had two Home Depot managers and I had like a dozen people, and we're talking about different issues. Yep. Out of the blue, spontaneously. So, yeah, that really does happen. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to love yep. what you do. Yep. You have yep. to, like, when I make, I love making movies. That's my passion. I love doing this. This podcast, I love it. I could talk to people for hours. In fact, there's times where I have to look at my watch and be like, Oh, we've been here that long. We should wrap this up. But it's, I love talking to people. I love right. hearing their story. I love hearing their perspective on things. I love learning new things. I love having ideas and just shooting the shit with people and going, oh, no kidding. That's what you did. Or like learning that you were adopted. Yeah. And that it was your biological grandparents that did it. And it yep. was and your take on that. Like, I hope that one day my daughter looks back and sees that in me. I hope that she goes, wow, he must have loved me a lot. To, I, I to guarantee you it'll happen. I guarantee it will happen based on just talking to you here today. Well, I appreciate that. Because you do have that temperament, that ability to communicate, and she will realize that. I, Ten to one, she realizes it already. We have a We have a very open communicative relationship me and her and it's that's not nice i don't know what that means but 
oh, that's not this aggressive. Um, but we're very open with each other. We communicate with each other constantly. Uh, we drive 20 minutes for her travel team twice a week. Yep. So we talk in the car on the ride there. We talk on the car ride home. We joke a lot. We laugh a lot. Um, she's always called me Danny because that because uh, she knew she was adopted from the beginning. So that's always who I've been. And she refers to me as her dad, or she'll say my dad this or my dad that, and then she'll be like, hey, Danny, can we do this? So it's it's... Yep. I own my position in her life. I love my position in her life. I love the idea that she still just calls me Danny. Like, I think that that, it speaks to our relationship. It speaks to the comfort of our relationship that that's what she calls me. I remember when she was, she was in kindergarten and it was, um, I think it was St. Patrick's Day and there were all these daddy's little girls shirts. So together she was like, I want one of those. And at the time, she was having visitation with her dad. And I was like, okay. She's like, but I wanted to say I'm Danny's girl. So we literally took a Sharpie and changed the two Ds to Ns. So it said, I'm Danny's girl. And she wore it. And she wore it with pride everywhere she went for like a week. Until, you know, she whatever changed and did whatever happened. But that's what yep. she did. But the idea of her claiming me as her person is is something that has always touched me and has always been the thing that I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm I'm your person. Okay, got it. Yep. Like we're we're here for each other. And I think I get a lot of flack for how hard I am on her sometimes because I am hard on her. I, I hold her accountable. And I hear a lot of other parents not holding their kids accountable. Just like the effort in sports or whatever right. it is. Like I ask her what she wants to sign up for. I ask her the activity she wants to do. My requirement is that you are involved in an activity. You get to choose whatever that activity is. But once you sign up, you have to stick with it until the end of the season. Right. Whether it's sports or, or something else, you have to see it through because you signed up and you made a commitment. So I hold you accountable for that. You can change your mind when it's done. And if it's something that's year-round, you still have to do it for the three or four months that a that a sport would be in that season, because I believe that's the amount of time it takes to decide if you like something or not. You have to make the effort and do that thing. So I just get a lot of flack for holding her accountable when I think a lot of parents right now, and I don't know if it's a lot or if it's just my community of people that I know that don't hold their kids as accountable. And I think that that's something that they're going to regret in the long run is accountability. Yeah, well, you 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 need guardrails in life. Mm -hmm. You really do, and that's something that basically we always counted on the family doing. But without guardrails, you can have some real issues. Yeah, yeah, you can. And I think, and it's hard. Some of the stuff that gets hard is like I don't allow her on social media. She gets, this year we finally let her on Instagram for an hour a day. Okay. Um, and that was a mutual decision that we made together as a family. Because it's out there and she needs to start getting an understanding of it. And I don't want her, like, sneaking off and creating accounts, and which she has in the past. But yep. we've caught her and she had consequences and it is what it is. Because that's what kids do. They sneak and try things and figure out that it's not the Well, they always out. test the boundaries. Right. 
but I'm waiting for legislation to step in and make some sort of, and have some sort of understanding that social media is basically like dropping your kids off at a bar and saying, good luck. Yeah. Like anybody and everybody is on social media. So if you drop your 12 year old off or your 10 year old off at a bar and say, honey, don't talk to strangers, only talk to your friends. How well do you think that's going to go? Well, just take a look at the uh, the group that basically laid a trap for a, uh, trying to think of a nice way of putting this, but somebody that was fishing, uh, um, um, individual that was fishing for an underage. Yeah. Predators to, are out there. To hook up with. Yeah. They're out there. And they basically set a trap. And they caught somebody, and now the person's under arrest. Good, as they should. Yeah. No, social media is like the Wild West. Yep. It is. And it's, and yes, it's rare. It's it's not every kid. It's not every person. It's not every situation. But you could say that about everything in life. If you could do something, it's like we talked about at the beginning with COVID. If you can do something to, to mitigate the risk... Even slightly. Yep. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Like, well, why would you push back on wearing a mask? Why would you push back on giving your kids boundaries? Why would you push back on things that make you a little bit safer that doesn't impede your freedom? A function of free will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. God gives us free will. Yeah, it's up to you to do what you want with it. Exactly. Right. Well, and I think that's, for me, I think that's where the benefit of religion comes in. Yep. I think there's a lot of people that don't know how to set their own morals and values, so they need something that's a compass. And I think that's where religion started was people were like, we need to create a society and this shit's getting out of hand. What can we do? God, let's, yeah, let's implement this. If there's a better place to go after this, if you behave and you can get there, then you should. I just believe that people should be ethically immoral because they want to. And again, that's not everybody. Not everybody thinks that way, and not everybody does that way. And I, I think a function of being ethical and moral is the glue that holds society to, together. Absolutely. Because without that, what are we? Agreed. And I think that's where the big divide has started in the last few years, is the the major differences in understanding ethics and morals and yep. what people's values are. Some people want to say these are the ones that we should follow, and then other people say, well, no, these are the ones that we should follow. And the reality is is there are only a few that need to be across the board for everybody, and then everything else can be individualized, right? Leading with kindness is a moral that everybody should right. just across the board do their best to live with, right? And there's a big difference between nice and kind. I don't think everybody has to be nice all the time. I just think you have to be kind all the time. Try not to do any harm. Right. Exactly. Real simple. Right. So it's not about telling people what they can and cannot say. It's about having the freedom to say whatever you want to say, but have the the values and the morals to not say anything that's so shitty and appalling that you shouldn't be saying it anyways. And those, those people are going to exist whether you make a rule about it or not. And to have the forethought to back up what you say and what you believe in. Absolutely. Right? So there's there are these nuances in life that I think 
are causing such a big riff because one side is is basically saying, I don't give a shit what you do. Do whatever you want. Just don't put it on me. And the other side is going, well, you should give a shit what I'm doing, and you should also agree with it. And it's like, well, no, that's not how our society was built ever. Right. That's not, like, I'm still not going to give a shit what you're doing, and I want you to be happy in whatever circumstance you're creating for yourself, as long as it's not affecting anyone else. Right, as long as you're not hurting anyone Right, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, I want you to do what makes you happy. That's it. I don't give a shit past that. I don't care what your pronouns are. I don't care what you identify as. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you think you should say or not say. I just don't want you to interfere with my life, and I won't interfere with yours. And we can all agree that if we're all working at being good people together, it's going to work. Yep. Well, that that's always been a tenant, tenant of society and until recently you have folks that don't believe in that. And there and there are for me it's there's these really far out yep. like left and rights. Yep. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle. Right? And the closer you get to the middle the more sane you get. Right? Yeah. And it's 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 a funny thing to say but just like with anything moderation. Right. Right. To be a moderate an individual that can look at both sides and chart their own course. Right. And that is a challenge. Right. And a lot of folks aren't up to that. They can only see the right or the left or one shade or the other. Right. And that's something that um well, I've always I've always looked at both sides of the issue. I think most of the good people do. Most of the people that are good at what they do and most of the people that are successful in life spend a lot of their time looking at both sides. Yes. They spend a lot of time going, why does why do this group of people think what they think and why does this group of people think what they think and what's the most logical solution? Right? I have a video from the podcast when I was talking to somebody about compromise. I hate the word compromise. I think compromise is the worst word when it comes to arguing and disagreeing with people ever created. I think compromise creates resentment. It makes people feel like they were taken advantage of or that they lost. I think if you can just work from a place of resolution yep. in solving problems, you're going to win more often than not. Because the uh, it, like, if you're if you're talking in terms of compromise, the word itself compromise creates a negative feeling inside of you. If you say the White House is compromised, if you say my computer is compromised, if you say, oh, that's compromised, just saying that's compromised in general means it's broken. Right. That something's intruded into it and Correct. affected it. And literally the definition is something along the lines of two people coming to a solution through concessions. Concessions being the opposite. Concession or collaboration or basically working for a common good. Right, but but compromise itself has the word concession in it. It's through concession that the yeah. compromise happens. And if you're doing something through concession, that means you're giving things up that you may not want to give up. And there is something to be said about, hey, we don't agree and we shouldn't have a relationship. If you're in a if it's if it's you and your partner that continuously are compromising with each other instead of resolving problems you probably just shouldn't be together you, you, because eventually you're not going to be together. 
in that scenario. Yeah, eventually you'll- Because that's uh, resentment. Rebe's uh, resentment is a powerful thing. The compromise will be gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and, and I think in your field of work, compromise is something that it gets thrown around, but I don't think, I think guys like you seem to be, and because I've looked at you, I've watched you because you're my rep and I pay attention. I think you're a guy that looks for solutions and resolutions, not compromises. Right. I think you look at it and say, how do I solve this problem? Not, hey, what can we give up to get what we want? Exactly. And, and, and that's really what should be the way we go about things, is how do we solve a problem? Right. And, and seeing all aspects and solutions to solve the problem. Right. And then hopefully making some kind of a, a balanced decision as to what the best course of action is to solve that problem. Right. And moving, once you have that in mind, and go forward with it. Right. It's exactly what you said before. Knowledge is power. Yep. And you can't have the power to come to a solution on a problem if you don't have all the knowledge, which means you have to talk to all the people that want to talk to you about the problem so you can then say, okay, well, here's a resolution that makes sense. This is what you want to do. This is how you want to do it. Here's a solution that the majority of people it's going to work for. Yep. yep. And yes, there's going to be outliers in every situation. In every situation, there's going to be outliers that don't fit into that mold. And yeah, sometimes we just might have to do something special for that group. Sometimes we might just have to have something for them that's an entirely different thing because their problem may not even fall into this category. It may seem like it does, but if you really pay attention, it doesn't. If you really pay attention to what's going on with that outlier of this solution, if it doesn't work for them because they're not in the majority, that means they have some other thing going on that they need a special amendment for, right? They need this one, like like the building a house bill. Yep. I'm an outlier. I'm a, I'm a specialty search, and, and I might just have to deal with it. I might just have to be like, oh, yeah, well, it doesn't. Like, there's nothing in there for me that just doesn't work for my for my thing. Many a time you'll have a piece of legislation that has a number of special cases there. Right. And how they're dealt with. Which is great. And that's and for me, if I want to build a house and it's my first home buyer situation and I'm not part of that bill, then I have to decide is it more important for me to build the house of my dreams or get the benefits of buying a house? Because then I'll just, because if I decide, then I'm making the decision which one's more valuable and important to me. Is it more important to me to get subsidies that are available for me to buy a house and go buy a house? Or is it more important to me to spend the money that I need to spend to build the house that I want? And as a rational human being, I can make that decision. And, and, And I would think that there would be a happy medium where you could have a program like that that allows you to have the first-time homebuyer savings account and be able to use it for the fact that you are building a home, in essence, as your which is like right. your first home. And yeah, you're, you're not buying it, but you're building it, but in essence, it's the same thing. Same concept. Yep. It's still my first home. 
I'm just building it instead of buying it where it sits. So now I got to take a look at that piece of legislation. See how I brought that back to remind you? Yeah. That was pretty slick, right? Yeah. No, that's... <laughs> the, the, the funny part is I've been running it through my head because it it's one of the bills that I really, really like the concept behind it. Because you're you're not basically giving somebody something, but what you're doing is you're allowing them not to be penalized to save to be able to do something. Right. That's great. And that not penalizing somebody trying to save the money to do the right thing, to to plant their seed in the ground to grow their life where they want to. It's the American dream. Yeah. Really. It really is. Tom, this has been a fantastic conversation, sir. I've really enjoyed this. I, I, I had a lot of fun here. So where can people find you and, and follow you and talk to you? Well, I, I've got a legislative Facebook. I have my own Facebook. I'm at 130 Felt Road. I think everybody in town of Southwinds who knows where that is. And if they don't, I'd be really surprised. Um, my phone number is in the book. My home phone number. Matter of fact, I think I have my home phone number on all my literature and on my website, etc. So it's it's uh, for those of you listening to this that don't know what a home phone is. That's a phone that's oh yeah, it's this thing that that you have buttons that you could push and yeah, it's connected to your house. It's okay, lined in. I'm going to share something with you. I actually have a rotary phone in the basement. That's amazing. That I've had for years. And somebody looked at it one time that had never seen a rotary dial phone. It still works, by the way. Yeah. So that it does. Those things are built to last. The the ability, no, the ability not to have touch tone or whatever, but to have a real rotary phone that makes and breaks yet it dials out. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. The, uh, the And I, I have to share one more thing with sure, you about phones. Uh, Frontier wanted to move away from uh, having the old-style phone. Yep. And I said to him, I said, you know, I can't support this bill. He says, why? Yeah. I said, real simple. I have a phone in my house. I can dial it up. When there's no power, it'll do 911 and it'll identify at the police station and they'll know where I'm calling from if I need help. If you get over or get away from that and you go to a server and you go through a modem, well, you know what? If the power goes out, guess what? You can't dial 911. And you and you can't necessarily, like with your cell phone, be able to get help after your battery goes dead. So sometimes some of the older technology is not that bad. Yeah, in certain circumstances, for sure. Because they want to get rid of the copper. And when I say the copper, the copper lines oh, yeah. that go down your street. Yep. So, but it, that that's kind of like a side... Side discussion, but yeah, I'm yeah. I'm very easy to find. People know where I live. I'm at 130 Felt Road. 
Phone number's in the book. And oddly enough, I've had the same email, personal email address since 2011. It's pretty Tom, good. Tom Delnicki at AOL. Somebody was laughing. They said, you've got AOL? And I said, yeah. Everybody knows what my email address is. Yep. It's real simple. Yeah. If I change it and go to like Tom Delnicki at Gmail or something, it's like, now I've got to have like two or three. It's bad enough I've got two accounts to, to look at. Yep. The uh, legislative account and my personal account. But to have a third one? No. Yeah, it's a lot. We have so many. But it's not unusual for me to be outside and somebody stops. And like I was in Home Depot just the other day. And I said to the individual, I said, do me a favor. Write it down. Send it to me. As a matter of fact, he wrote me a letter with cursive. Wrote it wow. in cursive. So now I got to go to the <clears throat> Eversource lobbyist and say, hey, you got an issue here to resolve. Yeah. 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 They don't even teach cursive anymore, so that's impressive. No. no, it was the nicest handwriting I'd seen in I don't know how long. It's pretty good. Yep. Now, I love what I do, and I enjoy what I do, and like you, I'm smiling at the end of the day. Yeah, I love it. We love what we do here. Yep. It's fun uh, to come to work. We enjoy you know, it. In, in life, if you can find something that you enjoy doing, you're blessed. Yeah. Yep. And take a page out of my book. If you can't find something that you love doing, create it. There you go. Nobody does what we do. And hardly anybody does what I do. Yep. I'm talking about the Christmas lights. The Christmas <laughs> lights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure. Hey, I had fun. I did too. I enjoyed this. Good. We'll have to have you back. Yeah. We'll have to have you back. Maybe towards the end of the session, talk okay. about what's going on. Sure. Talk about what bills are uh, good. Good. It could almost be like um, like a Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> it could end up being that way. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, because it's early in the session. Yep. We haven't seen the budget. I sit on the Appropriations Committee. I sit on the Insurance and Real Estate Committee, Planning and Development, and Banking. And I hope to get some good stuff out of banking and the other committees also. Great. I stay busy. Yeah, you do. Just like you. You got to stay busy. That, I mean, that's what keeps you happy. Yep. Keeps you alive. Keep you young. Agreed. Thank you, sir. And any day you're doing something you love, it's not work. Oh, don't get me started. It's <laughs> <laughs> still work. No. Still work. On. You enjoy what you do. It's not. Oh, yeah. I it's enjoy what I do. Still work. There's still work involved. To, to this day. That's a, that's a misnomer, I think, that, that we, can, we can tackle. But the idea that just because you love it, it's not work. There's still work that goes into it. We don't. Okay, there. I'll, there I'll are mind. days. There are days that I would rather not deal with certain things or people or stuff where I still have to do it because it's my job and I, I hold myself accountable to the things that I'm doing. Not every day is is rose rose colored glasses, but yes, when you love what you do, it certainly makes it easier. So every day is not unicorns and rainbows. Not in my world. I want to. <laughs> I want to take what you're taking. All, all I can tell you is every time when I was on the council and I was mayor 
or just plain a counselor, there was always something special about going to town hall. And to this day, there's something very special about going to the Capitol, going inside the Capitol, looking at the history, and helping people. That it, it it's priceless. No, I agree with that. Like it's if you love what you do, it certainly makes the work easier. Yeah. There you go. But there's always work to be done. Common ground. Solutions to problems. There you go. Take care.